Welcome to the 162nd podcast and the 132nd as a city on a hill church. Galatians 6 7 tells us, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that he also will reap. Pastor Mike returns to Isaiah 1, where he left off on March 17th, picking up today in verses 21 through 31 where God, in no uncertain terms, sets the stage for that quote from Galatians. Pastor Mike has entitled this message, The Goodness and Severity of God. In these, what we believe are the last days, it's vitally and eternally important we find ourselves on the side that reaps God's goodness. Here to reaffirm that truth is Pastor Michael Clark. If you would, please open your Bibles to the book of Isaiah. We're going back to Isaiah. Uh, we were we had just started the book of Isaiah when the quarantine and the stay-at-home orders began. We'd, we'd actually gone through uh, about the first 20 verses here, three messages, the first 20 verses of Isaiah chapter 1 uh, here on Wednesday nights. The last message that we taught uh, from Isaiah was on March 11th, Wednesday, March 11th. So, uh, wow, it's already been almost uh, five or six weeks since we were here in uh, Isaiah. And so we are resuming now our uh, chapter and verse expository study through the book of Isaiah. Uh, we're going to read verses 21 to 31, and I'm hoping that we can get through uh, Isaiah chapter 1, the whole chapter here, uh, this evening. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 21, says this. How the faithful city has become a harlot. It was full of justice, righteousness lodged in it, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross, your wine mixed with water. Your princes are rebellious and companions of thieves. Everyone loves bribes and follows after rewards. They do not defend the fatherless, nor does the cause of the widow come before them. Therefore, the Lord says, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, Ah, I will rid myself of my adversaries and take vengeance on my enemies. I will turn my hand against you and thoroughly purge away your dross and take away all your alloy. I will restore your judges as at the first, and your counselors as at the beginning. Afterward, you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Zion shall be redeemed with justice, and her penitence with righteousness. The destruction of transgressors and of sinners shall be together, and those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed." For they shall be ashamed of the terebinth trees which you have desired, and you shall be embarrassed because of the gardens which you have chosen. For you shall be as a terebinth whose leaf fades, and as a garden that has no water. Verse 31. The strong shall be as tender, and the work of it as a spark. Both will burn together, and no one shall quench them. If you were not here for the first three messages, uh, the good thing is 
is that everything is online. Everything is archived and available. So you can go back and you could check out uh, the first three messages. There was an introduction. Um, basically, they were sequential uh, before March 11th, three three uh, consecutive weeks, I believe it was. It may have been there was one week maybe where Pastor Bob uh, taught on the Wednesday night. But if you go back to uh, about the middle of February, let's say, you'll find the first message. It was Isaiah chapter one. It was an introduction to the book of Isaiah, kind of a background and so forth. And then we had two messages as we dove into uh, the uh, verse by verse study, expository study of Isaiah. So I encourage you to go back and watch those messages and uh, or listen to them. Um, again, the last one we looked at was uh, the last scriptures we looked at uh, were 18 through 20. And the message was entitled Wider Than Snow. And I'm not going to go back uh, uh, and give an overview of those verses because we spent quite a bit of time on them already. So we're just going to move forward here. Uh, starting in verse 21 tonight of Isaiah chapter 1. Now, this is a very serious um, book. The Bible's a very serious book, actually. Uh, everything in it is very serious. It's life or death. It's eternal uh, in, in nature. And, uh, and what, what God says is very serious. It's, it, this is a heavy book. The book of Isaiah is a heavy book, especially the first um, 39 chapters or so. Uh, but it, it is uh, definitely a rebuke of God's people. Uh, it's God uh, calling things out, calling things as they really were, and kind of popping the bubble of the re- religiosity of the Jews at this time and calling them to repentance. And if they would not repent, God was going to send judgment upon his people. He was going to discipline his people as a father disciplines a son in whom he delights. And so, um, again, verses 18 through 20, just so we can have this for context, God says, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow, though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, You shall be devoured by the sword for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So God is calling them to be white as snow. He's calling them uh, to be uh, white like wool. He wants to wash them of their sins, but they have to be willing, Uh, just like we have to be willing. We have to be willing. We have to be obedient to let God be in charge. We're no longer in charge of our lives. We're no longer uh, the boss. God is now in charge of us. He gets to tell us what he wants us to do. He gives us his word. He gives us his clear instruction in his word as to how we're to be, how we're to live now that we're his people. And being God's people, being called by his own name is a great privilege. And it is a huge responsibility uh, before God and man to have God's name attached to us. And just like Israel had God's name attached to them. El was short for Elohim, uh, Israel, uh, uh, governed, governed by God. And uh, so they became God's people. God put his name upon them. Uh, and for the Christians, we're called Christ ones or little Christ or Christ followers, Christian. And so we have God's name upon us now as well. And so God uh, speaks uh, clearly, he, he's, he's unequivocal, he's, he's honest, he doesn't 
hold anything back. He tells us the truth in love, but it is the truth. And uh, sometimes the truth hurts, sometimes it offends, but it's the truth nonetheless. Now, God has sent Isaiah to rebuke his people, uh, to call them back to himself, because, as we're going to see here tonight, they were beginning to engage in uh, real wholesale idolatry, going after false gods, worshiping false gods, uh, including human sacrifice, offering their children uh, to the false gods as human sacrifices. There was corruption. There was injustice. There was murder on the streets of Jerusalem. And there was sexual immorality and sexual perversion that was rampant uh, in their city, in the holy city of Jerusalem. And and so God is is rebuking them. He's calling them out and he's calling them back to himself. He's calling them uh, to purity. He's calling them to humility. Verse 21. How the faithful city has become a harlot. It was full of justice, righteousness lodged in it. But now murderers. And of course, the faithful city he's speaking of is the holy city of Jerusalem. It's the only city on planet Earth that God says, I'm going to put my name on this city. Jerusalem is the eternal city because God identifies with the city of Jerusalem. Uh, this was written 3000 uh, uh, or 2750 years ago, roughly. And uh, Jerusalem is still God's city today. If you go there today, it's the holiest place in the whole world. The three major monotheistic religions all consider Jerusalem uh, the pinnacle or the, the city that they identify with. The Jews, the Christians, and now the Muslims uh, all consider Jerusalem uh, their their holy city. And so God has said, I uh, have put my name upon this city. This city belongs to me. It was a faithful city. And it has become a harlot. Um, Harlotry would be like prostitution. And what God is basically saying is that you are committing adultery. He's telling his people, the Jews, you're committing adultery with other gods. You're going after other gods. And God sees that as uh, spiritual fornication or spiritual adultery. That's why he says uh, she's become a harlot, like a prostitute, going after other gods, like a uh, unfaithful spouse would go after other uh, people. An unfaithful husband would go after other women or an unfaithful wife would go after other men and sleep around. God is saying you're you're basically sleeping around with other with other gods, with other religions. And uh, God had called Israel uh, his wife, when God called the Jews or called Israel, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and so forth, and then Jacob's 12 sons became the 12 tribes, God often referred to Israel as his bride or as his wife. And uh, there's a, a great book, the prophet Hosea uh, really has a great analogy there uh, about, uh, you know, a picture or a typology of uh, Hosea marrying uh, Gomer and, and she was a prostitute and so forth. And God compares that to him saving the Jews, calling Israel to himself, uh, and, and then Israel leaving God and going, going after other 
gods, uh, like an unfaithful wife. God wants a pure bride. God wants a holy bride, uh, a bride that is set apart to him, to himself, not going after other gods, not worshiping the gods of this world. Uh, He wants a bride who is undefiled. Now, in the New Testament, we are called the bride of Christ. Israel in the Old Testament was called, the nation of Israel, the bride of Jehovah or Elohim, the the wife of God, uh, spiritually speaking. New Testament, the church is the bride of Christ. And we are called to be uh, uh, white as snow. We are called to be um, unblemished, uh, as it were, and pure as his bride. And yet uh, we see that uh, even to this day, th- there are many uh, who are not wholeheartedly devoted to God uh, in the church. Those who would call themselves Christians are not faithful to Jesus Christ. They're going after other gods and other things, putting other uh, desires and passions ahead of their love for Jesus. And so to some degree, it does have an application to the church. But this was written specifically to the Jews. God was a good husband to her, to Israel, to Judah. God provided for her. God gave uh, protection to her. God blessed her. God loved her. Uh, God did everything he could uh, but he did not violate her free will. Israel still had a choice to choose either to love the Lord and to serve the Lord only or to go after other gods. Uh, God did, doesn't violate our free will. He gives us choice. But then there's consequences for our choices. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 31, I'll read this to you out of the law of Moses here. Deuteronomy 31 verse 16 says this. And the Lord said to Moses, behold, you will rest with your fathers and this people will rise and play the harlot with the gods of the foreigners of the land. So this was written, spoken by God to Moses. Moses writes it. It's uh, the last book before Moses dies that he writes out of the Pentateuch. The first five books of the Bible or the law or the Pentateuch or the Torah And Moses here, God is telling Moses and Moses writes it down a prophecy because God knows the future of what's going to happen. He says, you're going to die. You're going to rest with your fathers, Moses. But this people, my people will rise and play the harlot with other gods of the foreigners of the land where they are going to be among them. And they will forsake me and break my covenant, which I have made with them. Then my anger shall be aroused against them in that day, verse 17, and I will forsake them and I will hide my face from them and they shall be devoured and many evils and troubles shall befall them so that they will say in that day, have not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us, verse 18, and I will surely hide my face in that day. Because of all the evil which they have done in that they have turned to other gods. So God knows the future. He knows uh, he knows what's going to happen. We don't know the future uh, except for what he reveals to us. Uh, But God is is saying that you're going to turn away from me, my people. You are going to go after the gods of the foreigners of the land. 
and you're going to break the covenant that I have made with you. And indeed, this is exactly what happened. And then God says, my anger is going to be aroused against you. Uh, I'm going to forsake them on that day. I'm going to hide my face from them. They're going to be devoured. Many evils and troubles will befall them. And indeed, that's exactly what happened to the Jews. If you look at the history of the nation of Israel and you look at the history uh, of the Jews, uh, whenever uh, Israel turned away from God, there was an evil king or what have you, and the people were going after and worshiping other gods. Eventually, God punished them and he judged them. In the book of Exodus, a few books earlier in the law there, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So if you go back to Exodus chapter 34, we read this in verse 12. Take heed to yourself, Exodus 34, 12, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you are going, lest it be a snare in your midst. But you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images. For you shall worship no other god. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous god. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they play the harlot with their gods, and make sacrifice to their gods, and one of them invites you, and you eat of his sacrifice, And you take of his daughters for your sons and his daughters play the harlot with their gods and make your sons play the harlot with their gods. So God was again warning them hundreds of years in advance. God was predicting what was going to happen to them, uh, that they were going to leave him and go after other gods. But he was warning them. He was saying, you need to go in there and you need to just annihilate their altars. Break down all the, their high places where they go and they uh, offer sacrifices to their gods. If you don't, what's going to happen is that they're going to begin to befriend you. They're going to make alliances with you. Uh, and they are going to start to uh, marry your daughters. They give their sons to marry your daughters. Give uh, their daughters to marry your sons. And the next thing you know, uh, they are going to get you to begin to worship their gods. And that's exactly uh, what happened exactly what God was warning them about is exactly what they did do and what ended up happening. And uh, basically, by the time Isaiah's on the scene, Isaiah is just basically saying, you know, God's been patient with you all this time. And and yet uh, you're not repenting. You're not you're not sincerely seeking God. You are. Uh, playing, basically just playing the hypocrite. You're pretending to go to temple. You're pretending to offer sacrifices. You're dragging your, your goats and your bulls to the temple and slaughtering them and offering prayers and so forth. But then you're going out and you're worshiping the gods of the pagans. In Psalm, one more verse, in Psalm chapter 78 and verse 37, we read this. For their heart was not steadfast with him. Speaking of Israel, the Jews, for their heart was not steadfast with him, nor were they faithful in his covenant. And indeed, that is the case. And Isaiah here is is basically calling them out for it. Back in Isaiah chapter one, verse 21, how the faithful city, Jerusalem, has become a harlot sleeping around basically with other gods. It was full of justice, righteousness lodged in it, 
but now murderers. And so there was a time, uh, even before Isaiah's time, when there were good kings, when there were kings that ruled with justice, kings like King David or King Jehoshaphat, uh, who, who tried to keep the, uh, the false gods out and tried to keep the people uh, focused on worshiping the Lord and, and, and following the law of God, the law of Moses and so forth, and obeying God. Uh, and so uh, God is saying, you know, at one time this city was full of justice, righteousness lodged in it, uh, but not anymore. Now it is corrupt. Now there's murderers here. Um, life apparently in, in Jerusalem at this point was cheap, much like it is in many places around the world today, uh, even so-called Christian nations, uh, homicides, murders, abortions. Life is cheap in America. Life is cheap uh, and, and it ought not to be that way. That is an indication when people don't value human life, uh, they don't care about the lives of others, they only care about getting ahead for themselves. That is a, a sign of a nation that has turned its back on God, that's no longer the people of God. He says this in verse 22. He says, your silver has become dross, your wine mixed with water. Your princes are rebellious, verse 23, and companions of thieves. Everyone loves bribes and follows after rewards. They do not defend the fatherless, nor does the cause of the widow come before them. Now, some people in the church would say, well, who cares about the Old Testament? Who cares about Israel? What does that have to do with us today? Why why would we even take time to dig into the Old Testament and study something that happened 2,700 years ago that doesn't relate or pertain to the church. Well, we're God's people now. And so God hasn't changed. His His uh, heart hasn't changed. Uh, God's will hasn't changed. His thoughts toward us have not changed. And, and so this does apply to us as his people. It's a warning to us, really. It's a warning to the church. If you look at the history of the church, the history of the church is full of blood, is full of corruption, is full of injustice. Look at the kings of England. The kings of England would have their wives murdered if they couldn't bear them a child. They'd have their wife killed so that they could marry somebody else, another wife, and not be a polygamist or a bigamist. Uh, the, the, the popes and, you know, those who ran the organized church for 2,000 years, you see to this day, priests have molested little boys and when they get caught, they just transfer them to another diocese. They sweep it under the rug. You have televangelists who are ripping off widows and orphans and taking people's last dollar that they have and saying, if you give to me so I can buy myself another jet, God's going to bless your socks off and you'll get healed of cancer. And then the person gives their last uh, money out of their Social Security disability check and uh, they die of cancer. And the guy goes and buys his new mansion or his new jet. And so uh, there, there's still corruption, guys. This is still true today. It, it has been. Uh, because man hasn't really changed. And so uh, this is the Jews, this is Israel, but we can learn from these things. The New Testament is here for our instruction so that we will not repeat the same mistakes that they made. He says, your silver, that which is valued, has become dross. That which is just uh, basically uh, covered with corruption. It's like it's like a silver chalice, a chalice that's covered with, uh, with, with mold and all gross and corroded. 
Uh, that's what the dross would be. He says, uh, your wine is mixed with water. You're, you're, you're watered down. Your princes are rebellious. The princes would be the, the king's sons, those who were going to inherit the throne, potentially, of the king of Judah. And uh, he says, your princes are rebellious. They're not, uh, they're not obedient, they're not, and they're going to be the ones who are going to be ruling your nation. He says, they're companions of thieves. They're out there getting into all kinds of trouble. Everyone loves bribes and follows after rewards. In other, words, in other words, there was corruption at the highest levels of the courts. There was corruption among the priests. There was corruption in the royal household. And, uh, and so if the leaders are corrupt of a nation, it's, it just goes without saying that that nation is done, that that nation uh, is, is, is over. They're, they're, they're finished when your leaders become corrupt. Everybody loves bribes and follows after rewards. They do not defend the fatherless, nor does the cause of the widow come before them. You know, it's so interesting, you know, because God doesn't change. He's always concerned about those who can't really help themselves. And in this culture, uh, it, it really was the widows and the orphans. They really couldn't uh, provide for themselves. They had nothing. And there was no uh, social safety net there in order to catch them like we have in, in the developed world, in the Western world, in America and so forth with uh, uh, Medicare and, and uh, uh, you know, food stamps and all the rest. They didn't have any of that. And so God called his people to always be concerned for the less fortunate, to take care of those who can't take care of themselves, the widows. Uh, you know, who were who were just basically trying to feed their children, but didn't have a man to provide for them or the fatherless, the orphans, those who didn't have parents. And and God says, you know, everyone is, is basically after their own thing, but they're not concerned for defending the, the fatherless, nor uh, does the cause of the widow come before them. Uh, this was something that was very serious and is very serious in God's eyes. I mean, in the New Testament, James tells us that true religion is this. The one who cares for the widows and visits the widows and cares for the orphans. You know, widows are very lonely people. They, they oftentimes they're sitting at home alone waiting for the phone to ring. They're, they're, they're lonely. Uh, they're, they, they feel like they don't have much purpose anymore. And uh, oftentimes people are just waiting for them and their family to die so they could inherit uh, whatever assets that they own, if they own a property or something. But widows are, are, are still a group of people that the church should be reaching out to and should be paying a visit to and ministering to. Uh, and, and orphans, God has always had a heart for the orphans uh, because orphans, uh, they, they have no parents to take care of them. And in many countries around the world, whether it's uh, uh, Africa or whether it's India, uh, certain places in the world, there is no safety net for the orphans. The orphans live on the streets and eat out of garbage dumps and so forth. And so, which is why the church uh, over the last 2000 years has spent a lot of uh, resources and time to feed the widows, to minister uh, to, to the orphans and, and feed the orphans and make sure that they are taken care of. But this was an indictment against Judah. Now, in Jeremiah chapter 5, if you want to turn there, you're welcome to uh, Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 20. Jeremiah was writing a little bit after Isaiah, but nothing had really changed. Matter of fact, by the time Jeremiah was writing, things were actually probably worse 
uh, in Jerusalem than they were when Isaiah was writing. In Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 20, I'll read this to you. Declare this, Jeremiah 5.20, in the house of Jacob, and proclaim it in Judah, saying, Hear this now, O foolish people, without understanding, who have eyes and see not, and who have ears and hear not. Do you not fear me, says the Lord? Will you not tremble at my presence, who have placed the sand as the bound of the sea by a perpetual decree that it cannot pass beyond it? And though its waves toss to and fro, yet they cannot prevail. Though they roar, yet they cannot pass over it. But this people has a defiant and rebellious heart. They have revolted and departed. Verse 24. They do not say in their heart, let us now fear the Lord our God, who gives rain, both the former and the latter in its season. He reserves for us the appointed weeks of the harvest. Your iniquities have turned these things away and your sins have withheld good from you. For among my people are found wicked men. They lie in wait as one who sets snares. They set a trap. They catch men as a cage is full of birds. So their houses are full of deceit. Therefore, they have become great and grown rich. They have grown fat. They are sleek. Yes, they surpass the deeds of the wicked. They do not plead the cause, the cause of the fatherless. Yet they prosper and the right of the needy. They do not defend. Shall I not punish them for these things, says the Lord? Shall I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? Verse 30, an astonishing and horrible thing has been committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely and the priests rule by their own power. And my people love to have it so. But what will you do in the end? Ironically, Jeremiah held nothing back when he came. The, the, the wrath of God was about to be released upon Judah through and from the Babylonians and King Nebuchadnezzar, who was just going to uh, destroy the Jews and destroy Jerusalem and, and carry uh, a remnant away uh, captive to Babylon. Uh, and yet the people had no interest in hearing what the prophet Jeremiah had to say. It's like God says, you know, the prophets prophesy falsely, the priests rule by their own power, and my people love it that way. They want people to lie to them. They don't want to hear the truth from God's word. Man, it, it, things just don't seem to really change in, in mankind's history. I mean, to this day, there are uh, the overwhelming majority of churches that will not teach God's word. As a matter of fact, the overwhelming majority of churches don't even get into the word of God when they teach. They may take one verse and then they'll, you know, something positive, something happy, something to make you feel good about yourself and tell you how much God loves you. Uh, and then you, you know, you, you clap for the for the worship and then you go home and, you know, feel better about yourself. But they don't they don't prophesy the truth about God's word. Churches are not teaching about prophecy. And this is when the church should be teaching the most about prophecy because Jesus could come back any time. 
We see all the things that he predicted happening, and yet the church has never been more ignorant of Bible prophecy than they are today in America and in the West in 2020. Uh, we raise up teachers that tell us what we want to hear. And if it's something that is a little too convicting or something that gets a little too close to home, you know, then they fire the pastor and replace him with someone who's going to follow the party line. So it, nothing's really changed. Uh, the prophets prophesy falsely. The priests or religious leaders rule by their own power and the people love it that way. They, they, they don't want anyone to come and tell them the truth. What did they do with Jeremiah when Jeremiah came preaching the word of God to them, telling them what was about to come, warning them to repent and turn back to God? They rejected him. They hated him. They called him a false prophet. They locked him up in jail. They threw him into the public latrine to humiliate him. Nobody cared what Jeremiah had to say. Uh, and, and so uh, it's, it's, it's really an indictment against God's people. God says that there's deception, there's wickedness, there's corruption in the land. And the church of God is not doing or the uh, the house of Israel in the Old Testament, the house of Israel is not doing anything about it. It's interesting, he says in uh, in Jeremiah chapter seven, if you're there in Jeremiah five, you just turn the page in your Bible, Jeremiah seven, verse two. And you could see why Jeremiah was not the most popular guy in Jerusalem. Jeremiah seven, verse two says this. Stand in the gate of the Lord's house. This would have been the temple, the holiest place in all the world, the temple in, in Jerusalem, in Judah, in Israel. God tells the prophet Jeremiah, stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah who enter in at these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your doings. And I will cause you to dwell in this place. Do not trust in these lying words or the false prophets saying the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. For if you thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, if you thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the stranger, the fatherless and the widow and do not shed innocent blood in this place or walk after other gods to your hurt, then I will cause you to dwell in this place, in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. Behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal, and walk after other gods whom you do not know, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered to do all these abominations? It's so interesting. The heart of man is so wicked. You know, the, these people were religious. They were going through the exercise of religion. They were going to the temple. They were saying their prayers, going to, as it were, church, saying their prayers, offering their sacrifices. And then they were going out and stealing and murdering and committing adultery and lying to one another, swearing falsely, worshiping other gods. And they were saying, it's okay if we do all these other wicked things because we're God's people. This is the temple of the Lord. We belong to the temple of the Lord. And they say, 
we are delivered to do all these abominations. In other words, I can live however I want. I'm a child of God. I can live wickedly and I'm okay with it. And God's okay with it. He continues in verse 11. He says, has this house, the temple, which is called by my name, become a den of thieves in your eyes? Behold, I, even I have seen it, says the Lord. But go now to my place, which was in Shiloh, where I set my name at first and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. Verse 13. And now because you have done all these works, says the Lord, and I spoke to you rising up early and speaking, but you did not hear. And I called you, but you did not answer. Therefore, I will do to the house which is called by my name in which you trust and to this place which I gave to you and your fathers as I have done to Shiloh. And I will cast you out of my sight as I have cast out all your brethren, the whole posterity of Ephraim or the ten northern tribes, the nation of Israel, whom God had already judged at this point. Verse 16, he says, therefore, Do not pray for this people. God's telling Jeremiah the prophet. He says, therefore, do not pray for this people, nor lift up a cry or prayer for them, nor make intercession to me, for I will not hear you. Do you not see what they do in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood. The fathers kindle the fire and the women need dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven. And they pour out drink offerings to other gods that they may provoke me to anger. Verse 19. Do they provoke me to anger, says the Lord? Do they not provoke themselves to the shame of their own faces? Therefore, says the Lord, behold, my anger and my fury will be poured out on this place on man and on beast, on the trees of the field and on the fruit of the ground. And it will burn and not be quenched. And that was a prophecy of what was going to happen when Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians came and destroyed the city of Jerusalem, obliterated the city of Jerusalem. Really, Jerusalem has never recovered from the desolation and destruction that came in 586 B.C. when the Babylonians came, besieged the city, and then after three years, destroyed it and killed man, woman, children, beast, burned everything to the ground, took all of the spoils of war, all the treasures from Judah, from Jerusalem, from the temple, destroyed the Holy of Holies, took all of the bronze and the gold and the silver that was there that was dedicated to the service of the Lord and brought it over to Babylon. And so God doesn't he just doesn't mess around. I mean, he doesn't mix words. He doesn't mess around. See, the, the thing is, is God is so patient with mankind because a day is like a thousand years to God. A thousand years is like a day. But eventually God's patience wears out. Eventually God judges wickedness. And when his people are no longer salt and light, they're no longer preserving what is right and good, like salt does with meat to preserve it. Uh, they're not shining light in darkness and exposing the things that are done in the darkness and requiring uh, righteousness and justice and uh, taking care of the less fortunate and so forth. When God's people no longer do this and the light, as it were, has gone out, well, the only thing to happen that God could do is to judge that people or that nation. 
And that's exactly what he was going to do, and he did do, to Judah. Now, in the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 10, we have a a New Testament sort of a a, a parallel that's written to the church. Not exactly a parallel to what I just read you, but the same concept about God being holy and him judging sinners, especially when his people who are called by his name are living like uh, heathens. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19 says this. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus or the holy of holies in heaven, really, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God. Jesus is our great high priest. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience And our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. It's actually 19 through uh, 25. And then in verse 26, he says this, For if we sin willfully... After we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Verse 31 It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Wow. That's not happy. You know, that doesn't make me feel good. It doesn't. That's not, you know, seven ways to be a happier person or have a happier life. You know, but this is the word of God. And this is written to the church in the New Testament. And it's a warning. It's a real warning to those who would call themselves Christians who would say that Jesus is their savior. Jesus is the great high priest. We can draw near. We have an assurance of faith. Our hearts are sprinkled from an evil conscience. Our bodies washed with pure water. You know, it's it's basically speaking to those who are in the church. And then the warning comes for if we sin willfully. In other words, if you do what the Jews were doing and say, hey, All of these abominations are okay with God because we're God's people. We can live now however we want to live. Grace is a license to sin, basically, is what is is what people think. They think, well, I'm saved, so I could commit adultery, fornication, pornography, get drunk, get high, get stoned. I can live however I want. I can rip people off at my job. And I can go to church and praise the Lord on Sunday morning and everything's good because I'm saved. I'm a Christian. The Bible says not so fast. Be careful. Be warned. 
Galatians chapter 6 tells us that God will not be mocked. Galatians 6, 7, and 8. For whatever a man sows, this also shall he reap. And if you sow to the flesh, you'll reap of the flesh destruction. And if you sow to the Spirit, you'll reap of the Spirit eternal life. But it says, don't be mocked. God will not be mocked. Don't mock God by thinking you could live in an evil way and that it's all going to be fine. It's all okay. It's a contradiction because we're supposed to be reflecting God's character. We're supposed to be reflecting him uh, to a fallen, corrupt and perverted world. In Romans chapter 11, and I actually entitled this message, uh, The Goodness and Severity of God. I forgot to mention at the beginning. But Romans chapter 11, uh, verse 22, says this. Therefore, consider the goodness and the severity of God on those who fell severity, but toward you goodness, if which is conditional, if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. I don't have time to dig into this, but uh, this is what the Bible tells us, guys. This is New Testament. So God hasn't changed. He's still holy. He's still perfect. He's still righteous, and he's still just, and he still hates sin. And so we're his people. Yes, we're sinners, but we shouldn't live in sin anymore. Yes, we are going to sin and we'll sin until the day we die because we're in a fallen body. We live in a corrupted world and our body is, uh, you know, just programmed to sin. And so but but those who, you know, live like the devil, live like the unsaved and then call themselves Christians. This is what uh the authors, the authors of here in the New Testament are talking about Paul, the apostle here in Romans, the author to the Hebrews who were, were not sure who the author was. It could have been Paul. It could have been Apollos or one of the other apostles who wrote to the book of Hebrews. But they're writing to the church. They're writing to the Christians, the mercy and the severity of God, because God is just. He must judge sin. Again, back in Isaiah, chapter one and verse twenty four. Therefore, the Lord says, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel. Ah, I will rid myself of my adversaries and take vengeance on my enemies. How sad that God is referring to his own children, his own people as his enemies, as his adversaries. He says, I'll rid myself of my adversaries. I'll take vengeance on my enemies. I will turn my hand against you. And thoroughly purge away your dross and take away all your alloy. God was going to purify them. He was going to hammer them. He was going to judge them. And he was going to purge them and refine them and purify them because uh, of their wickedness and because they were his people. At least they were called by his name. He continues in verse 26. He says, I will restore your judges. As at the first and your counselors as at the beginning afterward, you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. So God's trying to restore them to who they should be, to bring them back to really reflecting him and and really representing him to a lost and fallen and corrupted world. And God says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to judge my people. I'm going to purge my people uh, and, and I'm going to restore 
justice. I'm going to restore judges as at the first, those who are not taking bribes, those who are not corrupt. Uh, and uh, uh, your counselors is at the beginning, those who are going to counsel you in the ways of God instead of counseling you uh, in, in the ways of man or, or the ways that are contrary to God's ways. He says, and then afterward, you'll be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Verse 27, he says, Zion shall be redeemed with justice and her penitence with righteousness. Penitence are those who uh, who are humble, who are repentant. Remember in um, one of the Indiana Jones movies, I think it was the third one with Sean Connery, where it says only the penitent soul shall pass. And he's trying to figure out what does penitent mean? Oh, I'm going to bow down. And he didn't get his head chopped off with the saw or whatever. Uh, that's what penitent means. It means those who are repentant, those who are humble before God. Her penitence with righteousness. God's going to redeem his people with justice. He's going to show grace to those who are repentant, those who are returning to him, turning away from sin and turning back to righteousness. Verse 28, he says, The destruction of transgressors and of sinners shall be together. Destruction of transgressors and sinners shall be together. And those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed. For they shall be ashamed of the terebinth trees which you have desired. And you shall be embarrassed because of the gardens which you have chosen. For you shall be as a terebinth whose leaf fades and as a garden that has no water. The strong shall be as tender and the work of it as a spark. Both will burn together. And no one shall quench them. So God here is now referring to where they would offer their sacrifices to the idols or to the false gods in verse 29. For they shall be ashamed of the terebinth trees which you have desired and shall be embarrassed uh, because of the gardens which you have chosen. Uh, they, they would go to the high places. Interesting. Um, I did a teaching on Satanism probably about a year ago now, maybe I think it was in June of last year, and um, and I told I told a story. I don't have time to get into it now, but uh, about how Tehachapi, the city of Tehachapi, where I pastored for 15 years, was one of the high places for the uh, Satanic Church, the Church of Satan. One of the high places was the city of Tehachapi. Talk to old timers. Talk to people who counseled girls who uh, had their minds fractured. I know I know counselors. I know a specific guy who counseled numerous women over a 20 year period. He was an LMFT licensed marriage and family therapist, Christian guy. Uh, and they had all of these girls who were coming in for counseling who were just broken. And, you know, they were a wreck. They were uh, they had huge psychological problems and they were young girls in their teens or 20s. And uh, they were breeders for the Church of Satan. They were having children that were off the record. They were being impregnated up on the mountain. They all told the same story. They didn't know each other. And uh, they would sacrifice their babies and drink. They would the, the priests, the satanic priests would drink the blood of the babies. And, you, you know, <clears throat> there's Hollywood that makes movies and glamorizes these things. But this is true. This stuff happens. And they still choose the high places. The church of, uh, of Satan or the satanic church, which is alive and well, probably more powerful and more popular now than has ever been the case in America's history and throughout uh, Western Europe, uh, they deny that they do this, of course, because it's against the law, but it's part of their practice. They kill 
humans and they drink the blood of humans. And uh, and they still like to go to the mountaintop communities. They go to the mountains to get closer to the demons, really, is what it is. The stars, kind of like the Tower of Babel. They built the Tower of Babel in ancient times to try and get closer to the devils, the demons, the fallen angels. Or so they thought they were getting closer to them by going up on onto higher places. And so God is now uh, uh, calling them out because of their sacred groves, the places that they went to offer human sacrifices and to pray to these other gods. It's, there's nothing new under the sun. People that are worshiping the devil still do this. Um, turn with me to Psalm. Psalms chapter 106. And you don't have to hold your place there in Isaiah if you're following along with us. Psalm chapter 106 and verse 37 says this. Well, let's back up. Uh, let's back up to 34. Psalm 106, 34. God's indictment again against his people, Israel. He says they did not destroy the peoples concerning whom the Lord had commanded them, but they mingled with the Gentiles or the unbelievers, the pagans, and they learned their works. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons, and they shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. Thus they were defiled by their own works, and they played the harlot by their own deeds. And so it's interesting here that we're told that when they were worshiping idols or false gods or the gods of the people of Canaan, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and, you know, all of the other uh, pagan religions, false religious systems there that were in the Middle East, in Israel at this time, the land of Israel, uh, that they were not only serving and worshiping idols like Baal and Ashtoreth and Molech and these other gods that had these different names, but when they offered human sacrifices of their sons and their daughters, God says, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons, to demons. So all of these other gods, so-called gods, I mean, th- there are many, many gods that people worship around the world, uh, whether it is uh, Allah that the, that the Muslims worship or whether it's the pantheon of, you know, four million Indian gods of Hinduism or whether it's Buddhism uh, whatever gods it is, or whether it's the Wiccans, or whether it's the pagans, or whether it's the Satanists, uh, any any false god or false religious system, w- witchcraft and so forth, anytime that you are trying to make contact with a spiritual being and you're worshiping and praying to another spiritual being, a false god, you are worshiping demons. That's what they were doing. He says, you're worshiping idols, you're sacrificing your children to devils, to demons. That's why there's power uh, with human sacrifice, because the devil gives power to people who worship him. But it's a, you know, it's a stiff price to pay because they're going to pay for for all eternity with their souls in in hell. Uh, If they worship the devil, they're going to follow the devil to the lake of fire, which is where the devil's going to end up in all of his 
followers are going to end up in the lake of fire. So if you want to follow the devil and the false gods, you're going to follow them all the way to their end, which is hell and the lake of fire. Or you could follow the true God and follow Jesus Christ, and you're going to end up where he is, which is in heaven, where uh, there is no sin and no darkness. In Psalm 115, verse 4, we read this. Their idols are silver and gold. Again, speaking of the idols of the, of the nations. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not have, uh, but they do not handle anything. Feet they have, but they do not walk, nor do they mutter through their throat. Verse 8, those who make them are like them, so is everyone who trusts in them. A man will become like his God. You'll become like your God. And so the people that worship money and, and, and power, they, they become corrupted by money and power because that they've made that their idol, mammon. They're God. People who worship sex, they get all kinds of weird perversions and it just is never enough to satisfy them sexually. They go deeper and deeper into perversion and darkness. Uh, and, and they eventually, they become like that which they are worshiping. You know, there was gods of war, uh, the, the Greeks and the Romans. You had uh, Zeus and Mars and, you know, these gods of war and people that love war and they worship war and violence. They, they, it, it corrupts them. They become like that which they worship. And God is saying, here's, here's the problem is these are dumb, deaf, blind, uh, uh, and mute, uh, you know, insensate. They can have no life. They have no breath. They have no voice. They, ha- they can't hear. They can't, they can't see. They can't speak, but you make them and you create them just like you. You make them like a little version of yourself. You, you carve out this little statue. And we're going to see more of this as we go through the book of Isaiah. Uh, but, you know, you take a tree or a stone, you, you harvest the tree, you shape it into a statue, and then you fall down and worship a block of wood, God says. Or you fall down and worship a piece of marble. Uh, like, like, you know, like, like it's real. And, and so the danger is, is that you become like that which you worship. And uh, these these uh, uh, gods, these false gods, these idols, they're dumb, deaf and blind. And people that worship them become dumb, deaf and blind. They become blinded to the reality of God. Uh, They become dumb and the things that they speak mean nothing. There's no realness to what they say. There's no value to their words. All they listen to is garbage. They just listen to junk through their ears. They're dumb, deaf, and blind to the things that really matter. Because a man will become like the God that he worships. And this is just something that you can't get away from if you study the scriptures. Now, on a positive note, for us as Christians, a man will become like the God that he worships. So if you worship Jesus... If you worship the God of the Bible, if you if you make Jesus your master passion, the thing that you care about the most is pleasing and getting to know Jesus Christ. Guess what happens? You will become like Jesus. A man will become like his God. Jesus, the Bible says Jesus is meek and lowly. He's humble of heart. 
So a Christian who loves Jesus is meek and humble of heart, lowly, doesn't think too highly of himself. Uh, the Bible says that God is love. And love is defined for us in two specific places in the New Testament. God is love. God is good. The Bible says Christians should be loving. A Christian should be good. Uh, uh, but God is love. What, what is the definition of love? Galatians chapter five tells us one of the definitions. Love uh, for the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, goodness, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness. And self-control. And so if you want to see what God is like, go and read Galatians chapter 5 and see what love is like. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And then this is what, how, what you define love because that's how God is. That's how God is. And a man will become like that which he worships. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And this is where we conclude tonight. Another definition of love. Remember, a man becomes like like his God. God is love. So this is what God is like. First Corinthians 13, verse four. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil does not rejoice in sin or iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. So this is the character and nature of Jesus, because Jesus is God. And if we worship Jesus, we're called by his name, and we want to become like our God, this is the goal. This is actually the fruit that comes out of a child of God. As you abide in Christ, you bear this fruit in your life. Again, Jesus, you could replace the word love for Jesus because God is love and Jesus is God. Jesus suffers long and is kind. Jesus is not envious. He does not envy. Jesus does not parade himself and is not puffed up. Remember, he said, I'm meek and lowly. And humble of heart, not prideful. Jesus does not behave rudely. Jesus does not seek his own. He's not selfish. Jesus is not provoked. Jesus thinks no evil. Jesus does not rejoice in iniquity or in sin or wickedness, but rejoices in the truth. And God's word is the truth. Jesus bears all things. Jesus believes all things. Jesus hopes all things. Jesus endures all things. Jesus never fails. That's the goal, guys, is to become like Jesus. Because we're his people. And he's our God. And a man becomes like his God. We all want to thank you for listening. If this message has blessed you, as we all pray that it has, send the link to this podcast to your friends. Working together, we can get Michael's teaching of the whole of God's inerrant word to all those who hunger to hear it. If you would like to see this ministry expand to reach even more of the broken and lost, if you have questions, comments, and prayer requests, Email us at coahpodcast at gmail.com. 
we would be honored to pray for you, as we hope you are praying for us. Good day and God bless from City on a Hill Church, Tehachapi, California.